Today we'll be in Joshua chapter 7. And I've titled today's message from victory to defeat. From victory to defeat. Now up to this point, things have been going great for, the, for Joshua and the Israelites. The people of Israel were on a spiritual high. And they had been that way ever since they had crossed the Jordan River. Then doing exactly as the Lord instructed them, they defeated Jericho. But like in so many cases, there's always got to be one. There's always got to be one that messes it up for everyone who thinks they can get away with just a minor infraction and it It's not going to be a big deal that God's not going to mind. If you remember back in chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, Joshua specifically, specifically ordered this. Keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and make trouble for it. For all the silver and gold and all the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. Well, what it says later in verse 24, it appeared that 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 order was followed. But what we'll find out here in this chapter is that one person mistakenly thought it wouldn't be a big deal if he kept a little something himself. However, this one decision by this one man would end up bringing the momentum of the entire nation to a halt and also result in personal tragedy. The ominous words, however, in the beginning of this chapter is a signal that things are going to change. There's a shift now. Unbeknownst to Joshua, He is about to descend from the mountaintop of victory at Jericho to the valley of defeat at Ai. You see, even though Joshua was a gifted and experienced leader, he and everyone else, all the people were still human and were prone to sin. The lesson we will learn from this experience is the cause of personal defeat, and how we ought to handle the discouragements of life. Church, our story that we're going to read about will show us to appreciate how God demonstrated His love for us when He poured His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us to Himself. Before I begin reading the first part of this chapter, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, Heavenly Father, God of heaven above, so thankful that you call us children, that you call us sons and daughters. Thankful that you pulled us out of the mire, the muck of sin, and sent Jesus Christ, your Son, to rescue us. He is life. He is light. He is our joy. So now, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us now through your word and through this message that is about to be delivered. Speak truth into the lives of everyone that's here, Lord even if it's difficult, even if it's hard. And do the same for those watching and listening to this message. Transform lives, transform relationships. Heal physically, emotionally, spiritually. Dedicate this time completely to you. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Joshua chapter 7. 
Joshua chapter 7. Verse 1, the Word of God says, The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, Don't send all the people, but send about 2,000 or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all our people there. So about 3,000 men went up there, and they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them outside the city gate to the quarries, quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people lost heart. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening, as did the elders of Israel. They all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? The Lord then said to Joshua, Stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel ascend. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have, they have taken of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things with their own belongings. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. Go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord selects is to come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family. The family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man. The one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. As I mentioned earlier, the word, however, pretty much kicks off this chapter. Now, in other translations, the first word is the word but. Both those words, however, and but are conjunctions. Now, bear with me for a bit. There's a point to this brief, really brief English lesson. A conjunction serves to join sentences, clauses, phrases, and words. When the conjunction but or however, is placed within a sentence, it highlights the difference of the preceding phrase from the one succeeding the conjunction. Now, when the conjunction but is placed before God, the rest of the sentence is seen in a different light. For example, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 of the ESV, Joseph announces to his brothers who betrayed him, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul highlights God's intention to offer salvation as a gift for those who would believe in the gospel. And there he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
On the other hand, when the conjunction but is placed after God in a sentence, it often signals something negative. Well, this is the case here in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. And so here's my point. Joshua 6 ended victoriously with the fame of Joshua spreading throughout the land. For God was with Joshua. However, when now when this chapter opens, chapter 7 opens, the conjunction, however, informs us that the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Why is that? Because of one man's disobedience, which later resulted in Israel's loss, loss in their first battle against Ai. See, God's anger burned against an entire nation because he saw that Achan had taken some of what was to be set apart and devoted to God. The Lord considered them collectively responsible, not just him, but the entire nation collectively responsible and withheld his blessing until the matter was made right. In fact, it's apparent that Israel's history would have ended here if God's anger had not been turned away. And so unaware of Achan's disobedience and eager to take advantage of the first victory, verse 2 tells us that Joshua made preparations for the next battle, the battle after Jericho, by sending spies 10 miles northwest of Jericho to Ai, which was east of Bethel. Now, it appears that for the first time, for the first time in this book, the divine protocol hasn't been followed. If you remember, prior to this, God communicated his instructions for each event and encounter to Joshua. And then Joshua would convey them to his leaders, and the leaders would then transfer the instructions to the people. Here now, there's no indication that God tells Joshua to send any amount of fighters to Ai. Joshua doesn't consult God about the upcoming encounter with Ai. He simply sends some of his men, some of his militia, to spy out the city of Ai like he did prior to confronting Jericho. And so when those spies return, they confidently report that the city was, it was poorly defended and that it wouldn't take no more than about two to 3,000 soldiers to take that city. But those 3,000 men marched on Ai. And we see that they met defeat rather than victory. From victory to defeat. They were successful at capturing Jericho, but unsuccessful at capturing Ai, there in Ai. And so what was the difference? What was the difference here? It wasn't the number of troops, because even if the entire army had gone out to fight, no doubt they still would have lost. Israel lost at Ai because they hadn't obeyed the precise and specific instructions concerning what was to be consecrated to the Lord and deposited in His treasury for erecting the tabernacle. The violation of these instructions would lead to what chapter 6 verse 18 said, 
Israel's destruction and trouble for it. And sure enough, this is what happened at Ai. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute if God had been consulted before Joshua sent the 3,000 soldiers to Ai. God could have warned him, I know we did a clean sweep in Jericho, but don't send the military men to Ai. Don't send one and don't send two or three or 3,000 because I'm not going to be with you. You will lose if you go. After all, at Kadesh Barnea, God had said, go and take the land and I will be with you. But there the people stubbornly said, no. He paid the price because of that. Well, here, 40 years later, the Israelites say, we will go and take the city of Ai. But God will say, no, I will not be with you because Israel has sinned. Church, it's so important to learn to lean on God and not on our own understanding. We must go when He says, Go. Conversely, if the divine does not go with us, we should, just, we should be just as adamant about not going anywhere. We mustn't go on our own because all believers, as a church, as a united universal church, we are united in Christ. But even then, even in a more micro level, our individual actions matter to the whole body. Sadly, today's American believers, many Christians today, seem to live in isolation. We live in neighborhoods and do not know the names of our next-door neighbors. We even come to church and don't speak to the person sitting next to us or across the way. I know there are times that you know, we just bump into the person at a shopping mall or a store and simply ignore them. We ignore those who had just heard the same sermon and worshipped with us. We live in isolation. But churches shouldn't be. Are we our brother's keeper? Well, God says yes. We must correct our failure and begin to love and witness like our lives depend on it. We are saved to work together because through the power of the Holy Spirit, believers are enabled to proclaim the God who demonstrated His love for them by pouring out His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem sinful humanity to himself. The problem with our story began with Achan from the tribe of Judah when he took consecrated elements during Israel's victorious battle of Jericho. He thought he could get away with it and had deposited them under the ground in his tent. And because of his actions, they not only lost the battle, but also lost 36 men in battle. If these soldiers, these fighting men were married, this would have left 36 wives as widows and undoubtedly numerous 
children fatherless. Before this defeat, the hearts of the people of Jericho melted because the God of the Israelites was fighting against them. Well, now, after this loss at Ai, Ai, the Israelites now felt the same way. When the loss of the battle and the 36 soldiers was reported to Joshua, he expressed great dejection, disappointment, and sadness. You can see there his reaction tore his clothes and along with the elders and dust in his head. And he asked God the age-old question, the question that you might have asked so many times in so many difficult moments. Why, Lord? Why? He couldn't comprehend why God would bring them to Canaan to evict the Amorites from the land, only to let the Amorites evict them. Friends, understand this. Joshua, in no way, he didn't show, in no way did he show disrespect for God when he asked this question. God isn't fragile. He's omniscient. We must be aware that God knows what we will think before we think it. He is strong enough to handle our honest questions and our deepest pain. He isn't temperamental. He knows the end before the beginning begins. Joshua, truthfully, Joshua could ask God what was in his heart. His honesty demonstrates his trust in his master. I know for the most part, and I think many of you would agree with me, that when it comes to our own children, we want them to be honest with us. If something is bothering them, we want them to tell us. If they're angry with us, we want them to tell us that they're angry with us. If they're, we may did something or said something to make them sad. We want them to tell us about it. So that way we can answer their question truthfully and honestly and explain, give an explanation. In a very similar way, God wants you to come to him and ask these difficult questions. And ask these, tell, ask him what's in your heart, even if it's why God, why? But you have to understand that he does, he has the answer, but a lot of times he is telling us and a lot of times we just don't want to hear that answer. It's not the answer that we're looking for. A lot of times he will make it clear by reading his word what that answer is. But then we turn the chapter, turn the book, and say oh, there must be another explanation. Friends, he's a loving father. And as his child, he will. He will give you the answers you need. Maybe, again, not right away, but in his timing. Guess what? He wants to comfort you. He wants to comfort you in those difficult times, even when you don't want to hear that answer and show you that even through the difficulties, even through the hard times, he will always be there. You can ask God what's in your heart, your honesty also demonstrates how much you trust in your master. In verse 8, Joshua seems to insinuate that the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh were probably uh, made the better choice of settling on the east side of the Jordan. 
However, his greatest concern seemed to be about the high and holy name of God being erased from the earth. What about your name, God? If you destroy us, destroy the people, and we're wiped out, what about your name? I have no doubt that had Joshua asked God prior to going to war with Ai, God would have informed them that the devoted things, uh, told them about the devoted things that had been stolen. Furthermore, God would have advised them to call a halt, would have told them to stand down in the battle against Ai until the offender was confronted. Stricken with intense grief, Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the Ark of the Covenant, symbol of God's presence. But how could God be in their presence when they had lost the battle at Ai and suffered 36 casualties? Joshua was just confused and devastated by this. Yet he remained on his face before God until the evening. The elders and the leaders assumed the same posture and sprinkled or sprinkled dust on their heads. And this was a great sign, a sign of great sorrow and great regret. This is similar to Job's experience. After hearing, Yahweh's ans- after hearing Yahweh answer him out of a storm about divine sovereignty and majesty, Job referred to himself as dust and ashes as a sign of repentance. But Joshua, he didn't have the opportunity for a long, lamenting conversation with God about his sorrow like Job did. No. God brought up Joshua's inquiry about this matter to an end by saying in verse 10, stand up. That's enough. Stand up. See, church, there's a time to pray. There's a time to lament. There's a time to feel sorrow. And then there's a time to act. And that time had now come. Since Israel had sinned, Israel now had to deal with its sin. What the Lord said to Joshua helps us to see ancient sin and Israel's sin from the divine point of view, from God's point of view. See, now although Achan was the one who sinned, his sin tainted or spoiled the entire nation. Just like Adam's sin spoiled all of humanity. When Achan sinned, it was a collateral and it, it, there was a collateral and collective effect on Israel. His sin was not his alone. It belonged to the entire nation. Paul teaches that Christ's body, the church, is an organism that can be affected by the experience of one member. He teaches us there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. This is why we witness and share the love of God with one another. This is why we have fellowship. This is why I encourage you to talk to one another, to bear with each other's burdens, to hear each other out. 
If someone, your fellow brother or sister, confesses, tells you about a sin, confesses that sin to you, you as his brother or sister ought to bring them to the Lord and tell them, tell him or her to confess that sin to the Lord and seek forgiveness. We must love one another in that way. That's how we show love. By bringing a sinner to repentance. We're all blessed through the blood of Christ together because through the power of the Holy Spirit, my friends, believers are enabled to proclaim the God who's demonstrated His love for us by pouring out His wrath on His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem sinful humanity to Himself. Now, the greatest loss in the battle of Ai was the loss of God's presence. The Israelites had the symbol of God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant, which they apparently did not take to the battle of Ai as they did in Jericho. But they lost the real presence that the Ark of the Covenant pointed to. God's. God would not be with them in the upcoming battles in Canaan, in Canaan, until they removed the offender. So now, just as Israel had been sanctified in preparation for crossing the Jordan, there in chapter 3, verse 5, they now had to be sanctified to find the bad apple who spoiled the entire bunch. See, in order to once again enjoy the presence of their holy God, the people had to be made holy and ready to enact a holy command. So let's read about that now as we read the rest of this passage. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16. Joshua got up the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was selected. He had the clans of Judah come forward, and the Zerahite clan was selected. He had the Zerahite clan come forward by heads of family, and Zabdi was selected. He then had Zabdi's family come forward man by man, and Achan's son, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was selected. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you've done. Don't hide anything from me. Achan replied to Joshua, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the silver under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran, who ran to the tent, and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all, the Israel, and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, donkey, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought us trouble? Today the Lord will bring you trouble. 
So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remain still today. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, that place is called the Valley of Achor still today. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Asked the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. And God answered the question in the next verse. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. Friends, church, let me be clear about this. If you're not already, nobody, and I mean nobody, not a single person can hide from God. He knows all things, is aware of all things. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've done. Can I, not even Adam and Eve could hide. Even though they tried, they couldn't hide from God. Whether sinners run to the top of the highest mountain or dive to the bottom of the deepest seas, God will find them and judge them. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 tells us, For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. He will bring every act to judgment. Every little sin that you think you can get away with. Every single act of disobedience that you think he won't mind. Every sin he will bring to judgment. He will hold you accountable. Even as a Christian, even as a believer, you will be held accountable for your actions whether good or evil. As we just read, God's approach to all this, to, to finding out or uh, having the people find out who the offender was, it was methodical. First, he singled out the tribe of Judah, then the family of the Zerahites, then the household of Zabdi, and finally, the culprit, Achan. Now, I, I imagine that it just must have been frightening for Achan and, and his immediate family to watch the accusing finger of God point closer and closer to them. The words of Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 17 come to mind. I am watching them closely, and I see every sin. They cannot hope to hide from me. When Joshua finally sing singled out Achan as the offender, the people watching all this, they must have been thinking to themselves, dang, what did this guy do to make the Lord so despised? With us, what did we do that would cause him to be, cause the Lord just to be so angry with us? Can you also imagine when Asian was finally pointed out? Can you imagine what the relatives of those 36 soldiers, what they must have been feeling when they realized 
that because of this one man's disobedience, their loved one was now dead. They were now going to be widows. Their children will be without a father. Well, in verses 19 to 23, we see the confession. The phrase, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, back then at that time was a form of official oath in Israel, similar to when someone goes to court and they put their hand in the Bible and say, so help me God. See, Achan hadn't only sinned against his own people, but he had grievously sinned against the Lord. And he had to confess his sin to him. Thus, by saying, I have sinned, he joined the ranks of seven other men in Scripture who made the same confession, some more than once, and some without sincerity. There's Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9 and 10. There's Balaam in Numbers chapter 22. There's King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and chapter 30 and, or chapter 15 and chapter 26. And you have David in 2 Samuel. Shimei in 2 Samuel chapter 19. Judas in Matthew 27, and the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Notice Achan's confession. It was detailed and it was specific. He laid it all out. He didn't sugarcoat it or he didn't talk in generalities. He didn't say, yeah, I took some stuff. No, he confessed exactly what he did. He confessed what he did. He confessed his sin, his sin of, of, of coveting. But also, if you think about it, there's that sin of pride, thinking that he was better than everybody else and he could get away with it. Then there's a sin of theft. And, I mean, there, you can go down the list. Friends, church, fellow believer, it's important that when you confess, when you confess your sins before God, that you are specific, that you are detailed <clears throat> what your sins are. He wants to know. He already knows them. He just wants to hear it from you. Whatever it may be, don't just speak. Don't just confess it in a general way. Be specific about it. He wants to hear you. He wants to know from you. He wants it to come from your own mouth. He wants to hear how contrite you are, how sorry you are. There's no sin that he doesn't know about. He just wants to hear it from you. Now, for Joshua and the leaders could execute the Lord's judgment, he had to present the evidence that substantiated Achan's confession. So the messengers that he sent out dug, excuse me, dug under Achan's tent and found everything. All those things that he wasn't supposed to take, that were supposed to be given, consecrated to the Lord, and that had brought defeat to Israel. The stolen goods were spread out before the Lord so that he could see that all Israel was renouncing their hold on this evil treasure. The confession and the evidence were enough, were enough to convict the accused man. 
After this, in verses 24 through 26, the judgment is pronounced. Now in Deuteronomy there, uh, the law in Israel prohibited innocent family members from being punished for the sin of their relatives. So we must assume here that Achan's family, everything that he owned, what we see here is they were also found guilty because they were also put to death. So what were they guilty of? We're not specifically told, but I could probably name a few. Maybe they were guilty of not just aiding and abetting Achan's sin, but also harboring the offender. As a result, the entire household was judged the same way Israel would deal with a Jewish city that had turned to idols. It appears all of them, the entire household, had turned from the true and living God and had turned their hearts to that which God had said was accursed. Silver, gold, and ex- an expensive garment. When all was said and done, when everything was found out, it wasn't worth it. What he, what Achan had taken, what he had thought he could get away with, that secret sin, it wasn't worth it. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. What are you harboring? What are you keeping buried in the depths of your heart? that you're not surrendering to the Lord, that hasn't been consecrated to the Lord, that you haven't given to the Lord, that He is saying, give that to me, that belongs to me, I want it. Whatever it is, it's an idol. And He's clear in His Word about what needs to be done, what is that idol, that it's, it's putting that thing ahead of God. If you can't give it up, if you can't surrender it to him, you're making that thing more important to him. Every day, every moment, whatever it may, search your heart, examine your heart, and find out what those things are that are still hidden, buried deep in your heart, and surrender it. As difficult as it is, as it is surrender it to him. He, he wants to make you whole. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you. God the Father wants to make you more like His Son. And the only way that can happen is if you start giving up these things that are buried deep in your heart that you haven't surrendered yet. You know what they are. You know what those things are. Is it worth it to you? Is it worth it? At the beginning of every new period in the Bible, in Bible history, God, God sometimes revealed His wrath against sin in some dramatic way. For example, after the tabernacle had been set up, Nadab and Abihu invaded its holy precincts contrary to God's law. And what did God do? He killed them. This was a warning to the priests not to treat God's sanctuary carelessly. When David sought to restore the ark to its place of honor and Uzzah touched the ark to steady it, what happened? God killed Uzzah. Another warning from God not to treat the sacred things, not to treat sacred things carelessly. At the beginning of the church age, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and God's people, there in Acts chapter 5, the Lord killed them. So the death of Achan and his family was certainly a dramatic warning to the nation not to take the word of God lightly. The people and the animals were stoned and their bodies were burned along with all that the family possessed. 
the troubler of Israel was completely removed from the scene. The people were sanctified, and now God could march with his people and give them the victory. The name Achor means trouble. In Isaiah 65.10 and Hosea chapter 2, verse 15, the valley of Achor is mentioned as a place where Jews will one day have a new beginning and no longer be associated with shame and defeat. The valley of Achor will become for them a door of hope when they return to their land, share in the blessings when we, they return when they return to their land and share in the blessings of the messianic kingdom. So here's, let me say this, when you surrender to the Lord, those things that are deep, buried deep in your heart, no defeat is permanent and no mistake is beyond remedy. Even the valley of trouble can become a door of hope. Friends, it truly is wonderful. The Lord is able to take Achor, a place of sorrow and defeat, and make it into a place of hope and glory. The heap of stones in the valley would be a reminder that God expects His people to obey His word. And if they don't, He must judge them. The heap of stones of Gilgal there in Joshua 4 reminded them that God keeps his word and leads his obedient people to the place of blessing. Both those markers, those memorials there in Achor and Gilgal are needed in the walk of faith. See, God is love. We know that because it says in 1 John, it says that in 1 John chapter 4. And he longs to bless his people. He longs to bless you, his child. But God is also light. And he is also just. Light can have no fellowship with darkness. And as a just God, he must judge his people's sins. Well, God did ultimately deal with the problem of sin through, the man, through another man from the tribe of Judah, Jesus. The place wasn't a valley. It was a hill called Calvary. Christ took on the sin of humanity by becoming our punishment by becoming our punishment devoted to, to destruction for us though he is without sin he died the guilty the guiltless for the guilty he was raised from the dead three days later by the power of the Spirit. Calvary, the apparent symbol of tragedy, became the place of triumph for all, for everyone who believes in him. You know that verse in John 3:16? For God so loved the world. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his, only, his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Let me repeat that last part. So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So you see, the good news in this passage is this it showed this passage shows us that through the power of the holy spirit believers are enabled 
to proclaim the God who demonstrated his love for us by pouring out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem sinful humanity, to redeem us who were once sinners to himself. Sometime in the future, at the end of all things, death will die and be no more. And at that time, the saints of God, those who have trusted and believed in his son, Jesus Christ, will live eternally in the presence of the glory of the one whom the wrath of God was poured out on our behalf. Let me repeat that. One day, at the end of all things, when death is no more, the saints of God will live eternally in the presence of the glory of the one on whom the wrath of God was poured out on our behalf. God's wrath was poured out on his son Jesus to make us righteous. His wrath, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus there on the cross for you so that you will, would be made right, so that you would be made holy, so that you and God can have a relationship, the relationship that was broken because of sin. He loves you, my friends. He cares for you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you eternal life. But you must surrender your life to Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to make his dwelling in you. If you're ready to receive Jesus and you want your sins to be forgiven, I invite you to the cross. And there you confess your sins, confess them all to him. And he will. Regardless how bad it is, he will forgive you. If you've never done that, and you've never prayed to ask Jesus into your heart, I want to help you by leading you in a prayer to do that. That's what you'd like to do. Bow your head and close your eyes, and with all your heart, with all sincerity, pray this. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I know it and I realize it. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I now believe that you died for all of them, for all of my sins, past, present, and future, and that three days later, you rose from the dead. I repent. I turn away from my sins and now confess you and you alone as my personal Lord and Savior. I turn over to you all my idols, all those things that I put ahead of you and make you my Lord. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me and Jesus, thank you for saving me. So now I ask you to fill me, fill my entire heart with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me and teach me. And reveal to me your ways, not the world's ways, but your ways in my new born again life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that, you are now my brother and sister in Christ and there's a big celebration going on in heaven.
Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you for being here and for checking this video out. Um, join us next week as we um, continue our next, in our next study. Um, and uh, Lord willing, uh, again, he will speak to you in a very beautiful and amazing way. Have a great week. We love you. Goodbye. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope you were blessed by Pastor Angel's message. For more information about Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, such as our service time or how to get connected, please visit our website at fvccelp.com. If the Lord is leading you to give to the ministry of Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel, there's a PayPal link in the video description below. Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Calvary Chapel. We hope to see you again soon.